you have all this anxiety about what you've done. You think it's the worst thing on earth. And then when you share it, people start laughing because they're like, that's it. <laughs> and it's amazing how that weight falls off your shoulder. It's just like, oh my God, like you, number one, you found your, your tribe. Yes. But number two, it's just like, you don't have to carry it anymore. But what is your favorite thing about sobriety? I no longer am scared when a cop's behind me. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about the fact that knowing that I'm always capable of showing up. Yeah. And I love that. A lot of peace of mind with that. It's, it's a really good, good feeling. That's awesome. Hey, sober people and sober adjacent people. Welcome to I Have 12 Questions. I'm Amanda Patton, your host, the leading expert on nothing. However, I am in recovery and I love it so much so that I launched this podcast where we get to talk to people who are trudging the road to happy freaking destiny across all the different ways that people get there. So while this is definitely through the lens of recovery and sobriety, the stories and the themes that we'll be covering are universally human. So love, loss, grief, excitement, parenting, outside issues, purpose, God stuff, whatever. In the words of the great Ted Lasso by way of Walt Whitman, I want to be curious, not judgmental. So like I said, we'll be talking to people in recovery. We're going to be talking to experts and practitioners who help those people along their path in recovery. And we're just really excited to hear people tell their stories and to be inspired by them and to create a community of support for everybody in recovery and people who know and love people who struggle with addiction issues and whatnot. So anyways, we're so glad you're here. Here and thanks for listening. Hey, listeners, just a quick disclaimer before we get into the interview. These episodes may contain adult language and subject matter that's not appropriate for all audiences. Also, we are not doctors or psychiatrists, so what we share on these episodes is certainly not to be considered medical or psychological advice, just our own personal experiences, which we hope will be helpful to others on a similar quest. So that's it. And thanks for listening. Hey, Sober Family and our entire listening community. We have a great show in store for you today. Our guest is Jason Fodder. And we went to school, I don't even know, I don't even want to say how many years ago, but it's been many moons ago. And how long? <laughs> it's been in the, the 90s. Oh, God. His tagline is so funny because it's just a guy in recovery, which I love because that's humility, you know, and um, and I love that. So I'll brag on him a little bit, though. Um, he makes his living as a creative director. He's also just, you know, a friend, a guy in recovery, like somebody you want to talk to and, and get to know. And I respect and admire um, him as, you know, a dad, a husband, a person, a man in recovery. And he's very smart and witty, obviously, but, but also, you know, he wants to help other people and share his story. And, you know, he's got an intensity to his personality that I totally relate to and that I absolutely love. And he's going to be a really fun interview. So I'm so grateful that you said yes. And without further ado, welcome to the show, Jason. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Such a good radio voice. (laughs) <laughs> Literally, sound like a DJ. Yeah, I, 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 
I always say like, I've got a face for radio, so. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely have a voice for radio. It's so funny because when I knew you, we were still kids. And so I don't know that I've ever oh. actually heard your like man voice. <laughs> yeah, I was still developing my man voice the last time I saw you. <laughs> like, so let's start with an icebreaker which is if you were a professional professional wrestler, what would your like, you know, character name be? What would your walkout song be? I would say No, I've been doing some thinking about this. I would probably I'm a big comic book dork. I, mm-hmm. I would probably be my name would be anonymous. <laughs> and and then I think I would switch up my song all the time. Like I would really want to just screw with people. So I'd probably start out with something like Yanni or Celine Dion. <laughs> like my, my heart will go on like just completely like, why is he playing this? And then I would switch right. it up constantly. They would see you and hear Penny the music. G. Or what? Penny G. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's pretty, uh, that sounds exactly like you. That's exactly what a, a creative person would do. And uh, I think. And I like, I like screwing with people. Well, yeah, it's funny. It's yes, funny. yes. So when did you get sober? Let's just start with an easy one. December 2nd, uh, 2016. And. This is such a loaded question. Every time I ask it, it's just, it's, it's hard. It's hard to distill it down. Um, yeah. But can you take me back or take us back through kind of what it was like for you and your active addiction? I always like to hear if it was just out of the gate, like, you know, bad out of hell, or if it was the gradual thing and, you know, sort of how you arrived at that yeah. point where you were either willing or, or beaten into submission to get sober. Yeah. I want to say I took my first drink I remember uh, my dad gave me a, a sip of uh, <laughs> it was a Michelob Dark. I, I think I was like eleven, ten or eleven, and I just remember I can still just talking about it like I can still smell it. In high school, I would be kind of the weekend guy. I got a job as a bar back. I remember Garfield's and mm-hmm. like Jackson and uh, wow that kind of introduced me to the scene and I just remember uh, like it was just, I felt like I was part of a community uh, being behind a bar and actually just serving people drinks. And what happened for me was like during the college years and kind of the high school years, I would drink and I thought it would give me that liquid courage. It would make me a little more easy going I thought it was more funny. I thought it was more witty. But then during the college years, I it started to get a little more intense. It started blacking out a lot more. And then during my 30s, I was I, I kept going like, at least I'm not drinking every day. And then it would be like, then I was drinking every day. Hmm. And then it would be, at least I'm not drinking in the morning. At least I'm not drinking during work. And then that happened. And... I want to say during my thirties, I was just like, I knew I had a problem and I kept kind of putting it out there to people like, 
I remember a couple times I went to, when I was like getting a physical and I'd be like, I'd mention my drinking or uh, my stomach hurting or something like that. And I'm like, do I need to quit drinking? And the doctor would be like, no, no, you're fine. And, and I was like kind of inside screaming, like going like, come on, somebody like I'm trying to, I can't do it on my own. I, I need someone to jump in and tell me to stop. And so it, it just, it never happened. What typically um, going forward, what would happen was something I'd like get in a fight with my, my first wife and then I'd stop. Then something I'd do great at work and then I'd start drinking again. And there would always be kind of a pause and then I would start up again. And then during the end, I was constantly in maintenance mode. Like I was drinking to get rid of the, the withdrawals, the, the DTs, the constant sweating. <laughs> I was just always in maintenance. And I want to say it was, it was like I was in quicksand. It was just, I remember a couple times I would be, it'd be like 10 o'clock at night and I would be like in tears going into the bar. I did not want to go in, but I had to. Yeah. It was like part, it was a constant battle between my head and my body. It, where it was just, my body needed it. My head knew I didn't, or it was killing me. Cause I was starting to, at, when I reached 40, I was really, really starting to feel the effects. Like in my toes, I was starting to get like really tingly sensations and, and then my skin was just hurt. Like with my shirt touched my chest, like it would just, it hurt. So I, I can only imagine that was like the acid. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just hell. Like I kept going to sleep, uh, hoping I wouldn't wake up and I just kept waking up. And a lot of my uh, drinking had a, it, it it, it as I say in meetings, I'm a I'm a cliche. I'm three quarters Irish. I'm a writer and an alcoholic, and and I have, and I have uh, depression and anxiety. And the thing with drinking was it depression kind of gave me this cloud in my head, and it just like it was really hard to find words. And drinking kind of got rid of that cloud, so it was just. It was this vicious circle. And I noticed that, like, I noticed the difference between, like, my head wanting to drink and my body felt like felt sick or vice versa. My body felt great, but my head was like, no, you don't need a drink. But it was just constantly battling each other. Yeah, it was. There, there's just definitely like all these like kind of like vignettes in my head where i'm like thinking like there's this one time where it was like two o'clock in the morning i'm in my car and i just i just start screaming because i was just like i just need to escape this madness and i i just didn't know how yeah i think that's my answer <laughs> i mean it's and it's so relatable and it's so weird because people who haven't experienced that firsthand it just sounds bizarre because and to a lot of people it looks like you're having fun or you're partying or this and that yeah. but a lot of people in the rooms and we hear it all the time, like at the end they were at home drinking alone or they were, it turns into this mm -hmm. whole other thing. And then you need so much just to maintain, just to not get sick basically. Yeah. And totally. You, totally. You, want, you just want to stop, but you can't. And it's like, 
it, it makes no sense. It is so illogical. And I think that's why it's so confusing, especially if you consider yourself a smart person, a pragmatic person, yes. you know, it, it's just a mind fuck, man. And sorry, yeah. for my F bomb, but you know, you know, I'm, I'm offended. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, no. And I, and I think the thing too that happens is just like, I know what happened for me was the fact that like, um, I couldn't turn my head off. And when you reach that stage of like addiction, it didn't, it doesn't matter how much you drink. Like my body is practically shutting down from all the alcohol and like the damage I'm doing to it. But inside my head, my cognition, it's still awake. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how many shots I do, it's still there and it, it just won't turn off. So it's like your body, like you're slurring your words, but you're still can see and think, but it's just not, you think you're speaking clearly, but you're not because your body is completely, you know, shit faced, but your head's is still going a hundred percent. And you're wanting to be an oblivion, right? To where you can turn yes, it totally. off, right? Or at least turn yeah. down the volume, but it won't, it, it, it's, it's relentless and it's just... Um, you, yeah. you just put it so well because it took me back to like that exact same experience that I was having. And so did you just one day say, I'm, I'm done. I just got it. Or did something happen? I mean, what was the impetus? What, what was the thing? I, it was like my first marriage, we we're trying to see if we can make it work out. Um, I was still drinking. She didn't know that I was. I had just left my first um, treatment center and I, she went out of town and I was watching my son who was just a baby. Long story short, I put him down for a nap and I went to a bar. And then when I came back, he was crying He and I just passed out. And then she got back from her trip and sees me passed out. The baby's crying. And I'm like, Oh my God, what have I done? Yeah. And that's when I checked in. I I was just like, I talk about like your life is out of control. Like, and I, I knew it. Like I, I cannot physically stop drinking. I just, and I'm beating myself up because I just got out of a treatment facility and I'm like, I need to go back. I, I need help. Yeah. You know, thank God my, my son was fine, but the amount of guilt that I still carry for that is yeah. I've tried to forget forgive myself. I will completely one day, but it's still, it's like, I can't believe I did that. But yeah, that's what, that's what happened. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know that's not easy to talk about. And the parent yeah. guilt part is, you know, the promises say we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. But I, I, for most things yeah. that's true for me, but the mom guilt, it's still, it still hangs on. And, um, you know, yeah. knowing that I drove my child around when I was, you know, um, yeah. under the influence, just stuff like that. you look back at those moments and you're like, I love her so much. How could I ever have done that? And, but you know, like you say, you have to forgive yourself. You have to move on. I have to look at the relationship I have with her today. Not those things. Yes. But yes. Every now and then though, when, when my mind wants to play with me, it'll be like, wow, you're a really terrible person. And, but, and for me, where I go with that is just like, I needed that. That was part of my journey. I needed that to get where I am today. Absolutely. 
Yeah, because doing damage to ourselves was never going to be enough, or not for me anyway. Oh. It was that was never going to be enough. I was like, yeah, fine, whatever. But when you see yourself, you know, hurting other people or putting other people, especially your your child, um, it's like, oh my yes. god, this is worse than I thought. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I was hoping I would die. Like I, that's what I was kind of aiming for, but it was just taking too long, and. <laughs> that's that was the problem and but the second i realized wow i i that could have been really bad i i could something really bad could have happened to my son i'm like okay i i can't let that happen again so how have your relationships changed in recovery um Hmm. whether it's with your son with your partner family work whatever how whatever you want to talk about but what what does it look like what how has how has that changed in your life (laughs) i was just thinking it'd be it'd be funny if i'm like well it hasn't changed at all Uh, (laughs) (laughs) exactly the same (laughs) like i still still suck with people (laughs) the the biggest thing that I am proud to say that I'm reliable. Hmm. Like if I say something, uh, if I'm going to do something, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I like being able to know that people can count on me. To me, that's the most important thing because I just the idea of knowing that I was unpredictable and unreliable, like you never knew if I was going to show up or if I was going to show up drunk or would I be wearing pants? You know, like, <laughs> you know, that, that could be very well be a concern. It's just like, is he going to wear both shoes today? I don't know. And <laughs> it's it, 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 knowing that I'm going to wear both correct shoes is fantastic. And pants. <laughs> and you're going to be sober and be where you say you're going to be. Yeah. yeah I, I remember toward the end of my drinking and using, there was a time when it was a disappointment or a betrayal or whatever to not show up when I said I was going to. And toward the end, people were relieved. Like, thank God. <laughs> thank God she didn't come mm-hmm. to this party or this engagement dinner, or, you know, whatever it was, because it was, that was worse. You know, my absence was actually preferred there at the end. And, um, but yeah, when yeah. you come to and you realize like, Oh wow, I missed that birthday party because you know, I intended to go and then I started day drinking and then I, I don't know what happened. It was like, <laughs> it's just like, ugh. so yeah, I, I think so, I, I tried night shaving one time and I <laughs> shaved, I forgot to shave the other half of my face and I didn't realize it until I was at work and I was just like, Oh, that's, if I wasn't drunk, I'd be embarrassed, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Stuff we do. Well, yes. so when, and not everybody still has this, so it's totally different for everybody. But when was the last time you thought about drinking or maybe it's a, maybe it's a resentment or, or some trauma that popped up, but it's just one of those moments where it almost feels like some type of weird, you know, limbic hijack or just, you're just like, Oh shit, I just got, I just got knocked off, you know, the beam or, or whatever, you know, when's the last time that happened to you? And like, what did you do specifically to, to kind of just get on the other side of it and not, you know, use or drink? Well, there's, there's a couple things actually. 
last week, actually, uh, last Sunday, I went to a concert and uh, I went to uh, Pussifer, uh, James Maynard uh, Keenan, and uh, or Maynard James Keenan. And um, this guy was sitting, uh, he came and sat next to me and he, he was completely shit faced. Like, I immediately smelled it. And he was, he was in my space and about halfway through the show, I, I want to say he passed out and I'm like, it, it was kind of interesting because I was like, I remember those days. And, but then he came back with, I want to say it was wild Turkey. I mean, the fact that I could actually like, Oh yeah, that's wild Turkey. I can Identify smell it. it. I and, smell. Yeah. 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 Um, and he just kept it high where I was constantly smelling it. And I was just like, Oh God, this is starting to get to me. Um, because he had his aroma, his fragrance was a combination of beer and whiskey. And I was just like, wow, those are two of my go-tos. Yeah. I told him in the politest way possible to stay the fuck out of my zone. <laughs> and, and, and then he came back with the like, I'm here for you, man. I'm here for you. And I'm like, don't be here for me. Yeah. Be here for you over there. Right. And so the second that the, like they're about to close the show. I was just out of there. I, I, I had to get out. Uh, I just needed some fresh air, but like, it was one of those ones where I just like, I kind of rolled through it and like, all right, what would have happened? I wouldn't have been able to get home. I would have stayed there. I probably wouldn't have gotten a fight. The usual tomfoolery of alcoholics. (laughs) (laughs) And then, the other thing that actually happens now, now and again is it's the sound like there will be movies and I, I the, like they over accentuate the, the sound of like pouring shots. And that's just like, it just brings me back to the whole ceremony that I would have. Like yeah. when I would go to a bar, like I would, I was very particular about like where I would sit, I would want a wall like right here. And I just, that way, like I can only focus on one person. And also I could see everyone walking in and out and I have my escape path. If I needed to go throw up, like it was just like, I planned everything out when I would go to the bar and it it just, it's the sound of those, like the, the rocks glass getting stacked, like those little moments kind of takes me back to it all. And it's, then I play it through and I'm just like, you know, every time you said that you're throwing up, that you're working your abs, you actually weren't. Isn't that crazy though? I think it's so weird how the, all those old neural pathways and networks and whatever, but like how our, my, my brain still lights up with certain things, smells, noises, yeah. you know, yeah. um, seeing people, you know, drink on a patio on a beautiful summer day or, or in the springtime. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just, I can feel it lighting up. If there were a brain scan going on, I would be like, Oh shit, you know, because it's, and it's so weird, but luckily we have that buffer of like, yeah. let me think this through, what is this going to look like? You know, all that kind of thing. But people are, some people are taken by surprise when that happens and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Early on, of course, it's probably going to happen a lot more, but I don't care if you have 10, 15, 20 years, like it's still going to happen. Totally. 
I think it surprises people. So like, I like to be prepared for that, just knowing that it will happen. And what, what am I going to do, you know, uh, when it does. And like, even like Maynard James Keenan and like tool, perfect circle, Mm -hmm. Perry Farrell, Trent Reznor, like those are my boys. Like that's my, but I had to, I couldn't even listen to my music for like two or three years because it was so tightly wound up with my using and my drinking. And like, it was the mood and the sounds and the emotions that it brought out. And I could not listen to Jane's addiction, like without drinking and doing drugs. (laughs) And now I'm okay. Now I'm okay. But like some of that stuff, if I hear a certain song and I'm in a certain kind of mood, like I, I I can't, you know, it's so weird. I just got done. I just saw Nine Inch Nails with Ministry and It's a Rev. You're killing and me. I actually met like one of the lead guitar guitarists of Nine Inch Nails that night, and and I'm just thinking, I cannot believe I'm not drinking, but also the fact that like I got a picture with the guitarist, and I'm like, that wouldn't have happened if I was drinking. Oh There's no! There's no way that would have happened. No. I I he would have been. Get, get away from me and yeah. so it's, it's little things like that like i try to weigh like i remember the show <laughs> there's no way that would have happened if i was drinking and yeah it's also it's i oh i i gotta take it to the i can't have one i can't it, it, it's just it's unfathomable to think like I watch people at dinner sometimes like across the room and I'm like, they're still sipping that one goddamn glass of wine. <laughs> what is wrong with them? <laughs> they, leave, they leave some, they leave and there's still alcohol in the glass. And I'm like, I, mean, I, I know it's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, it's just, it's like, but that's how you know, right? That obsession, that, that yeah, shopping and making, totally. even when I'm around family or whatever, I kind of, I do, I kind of keep track of how many drinks they order it, to this day. It's just something I pay attention to. And it's not my focus, oh, but, yeah. but I definitely notice it, which is weird, you know? And I mean, ugh, it's bizarre. Yeah. It's bizarre. And like, if I'm doing something and I told somebody this recently, but I was at Red Rocks in Colorado, I was going to a concert and it was just the most mm-hmm. gorgeous weather. And, you know, that venue is incredible. And I was walking in and my, yeah. you know, I was probably six or seven years sober at the time and maybe three or four years. I don't remember, but I had this little bubbly feeling in my stomach, like, oh my God, I can't wait to get a beer and watch this show. And I, two seconds later was mm-hmm. like, I'm sober. But it was, it was because my mind associated the anticipation, the party, the fun, the music, like it, it, how could you go do that without drinking or having some party favors? Like that seems unthinkable, but that's that's old wiring. It was so weird. And then two seconds later, I was like, Oh wait, what? I don't even drink anymore. What the fuck? What am I talking about? But that's, that's the trickery that people get caught up in, you know? Totally. When it's your own brain trying to. (laughs) So what do you do for fun now that you don't, Drink. Obviously, you go to shows. What I like to go to concerts. I like. Uh, I am a big movie dork. I like exploring like uh, 
<laughs> coffee. I feel like I, you have to be addicted to something when you're an addict because uh, oh, yeah. it kind of goes with the word addict. Um, it, it makes sense. I'm, I'm big into the gym. I'm big into CrossFit. I'm big into exploring uh, new coffee shops. And it's just weird. It's like I kind of pick a new hobby every weekend where it's just like, when I first got sober, I got big into like, I want to challenge myself. It kind of goes with into that like intensity yeah. where it's just like, I suddenly want to live as hard as possible. <laughs> All the things that I missed during my thirties. So like I went skydiving and which I'm terrified of heights. And so I'm like, all right, I want to see if I can beat it. And then, um, then I was like, I'm going to take motorcycle lessons now. And then I did that for a couple days and then I was more never to get on a motorcycle again. And I'm like, okay, I did it. And <laughs> I'm a terrified, I, I do, I do not belong on a bike, but I tried, I tried. You tried. And then I got, I got big into cooking. Like, uh, like I just made, uh, like a few months ago, I've made bao buns. Oh yeah. Is that Thai or Vietnamese? Vietnamese. No? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it's Asian. Yes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Those are delicious. Yeah, they are. And mine would have been if I made the dough right, but it, it's a step in the right direction. I, I like cooking. It's uh it's another creative outlet for me. I don't know. I just, I like trying new things. The thing that I, I try to live as much as possible in the present. And that was actually, it took me a long time to, to get a hold of. Like I, I was constantly thinking ahead and not relishing that I'm alive and missing out on everything that's happening around me instead of focusing or, for example, like concerts now, I, I do not, I rarely take out my phone. I don't record anything because I'm like, I'm missing the moment if I'm yeah. recording it. Like, right. I want to experience it. That's that living in the moment is definitely one thing that would, it took me a long time to get a, like, a grasp on, but I think I've gotten a lot better at it. Uh, and then spending time with my son is just like, I got really big into like my tattoo is um, actually it's Marcus Aurelius with oh, like wow. some and then this is the skull and a heart, and it's all about sto uh, stoicism uh, philosophy. That is beautiful. And, thank you. And one of the th one of his quotes was, "Imagine that today was the last day of your life, and then spend every moment after today." living the most of your life as a bonus time. Like, and that's what it really what I've tried to done because I should have died so many times. And for some reason I'm still here. So I really try to, I'm, I'm trying to live a richer, more color, colorful life. Yeah. Even though I like to wear all black all the time. <laughs> Same. Always. 
I painted my office purple. So it's just, <laughs> awesome. I love that. Well, it's cool too, because when you're learning new things, you almost have to be more present than you would be otherwise. Cause you're engaged, totally. right? You, you're not. Yeah. And I think in our drink, in my drinking life, I never wanted to do anything new. Cause I, I just needed to be on autopilot so I could be, you know, semi drunk all the time, basically, or, you know, totally, totally. learning, but also being around a kid, their eyes, you know, they're looking at things and that, they are mm-hmm. good at being in the present moment, usually. So mm-hmm. that's a good thing. But it's, it's, I love the fact that you like to try new things and learn new things because I feel like I missed out on a lot too, you know, when I was, when I was in my addiction. And speaking of the intensity part, like, and we've talked about this a little bit before, but you know, you're really active, you're into CrossFit, I am as well. And a lot of people who people make fun of it all the time, which I totally get. But like, you know, it's a community, it's a mindset, it's a it's just this its own thing. And yes, there's a level of like intensity. But you've had some injuries and mm-hmm. you played rugby too. So like throughout your active stuff that you've done, you've had injuries. And, um, I've heard so many horror stories. I've seen them up close and personal of relapse during injuries, surgery, pain medication, this and that. And also just removing that outlet. And we were talking about this earlier, but like, for me, I've got to have a physical outlet. I have to have it for my anxiety, for my Mm -hmm. mood, for my sleep. And you're, you know, probably the same. So I guess I want to know, you know, what do you do when you can't use that outlet? How do you recalibrate to where you don't get just completely thrown off your, you know, game, essentially, mentally and with your recovery and all that stuff? As far as my mindset, whenever I injury or how do I, how do I deal with that? Actually, COVID was a perfect trial because mm-hmm. I, I panicked big time. Like, yeah. what am I going to do? And I got into yoga. It was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Men, there's something gross about men doing yoga. Like I, I, um, I try to like make sure there's no reflective surfaces anywhere around me when I was doing it. Oh, I've seen things. I've seen things in yoga classes and I wish I would have just yeah. all women. That'll make you drink a little. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's so funny. But, but, but there's something like as long as I'm doing something at an intense pace, like the thing that I loved about yoga was the fact that like it was something new. I knew I was going to suck at it. And there was something about the humility of that, that I enjoyed. Like, I know I'm going to suck, but the thing is, is kind of like, I had this approach to things with that. I, I kind of use the steps is how, how I, how I dealt with it. Like today, I'm never going to be as bad at this as I was today. And, and so like, no matter, as long as I'm moving in, in the right direction, that's all I care about. Am I better than I was yesterday? Cool. Just got to keep that up. I love that. I love that. That's huge. That's huge because, you know, 
the being able to pivot and to shift and like, yeah, totally. COVID was absolutely, it was like, oh my God, my gym is closed. I can't do this. I can't do that. What about my meetings? I just completely freaked out because it was like, I, and, and we know that isolation is not a good thing for us. Like that is not healthy. Um, And so I was, but, but like you said, it's like, you have to start trying all these new different things, which is, I don't know. I find it like enlightening and I like it. I love having that beginner's mind. I will say though, that my ego Mm -hmm. kind of hates not knowing what I'm doing, but once I settle into just being a student, I'm like, okay, cool. Like I know more about some things than these people and they know more about this than I do and whatever. We're supposed to teach each other stuff, you know? I I try to imagine like it's that first time I walk into that I walked into like recovery and It was like my second day and I'm like, I just go back there and I'm like, I got through that. I'll get through this. Yes. And absolutely. there's something about the fact that like, I will, I say this without ego. I'm like, don't bet against me. Like I, I do not, do not bet against someone in recovery because there's something about the fact that like, once you've lost everything and can come back from that, do you really, <laughs> you're really going to doubt that person. And so that's, I kind of enjoy being the new person who's learning because the thing is like, I I'm betting on myself. Yeah. That's and there's so something powerful. cool. about that. It's powerful. It's, I just felt like this surge of badass when you said that, because it's, it's true. Yeah. There's literally anytime I'm struggling with something, I ha- I remind myself you overcame the hardest yeah. Like you will never go through anything like that again. That that was that hard. That challenged you to change on yes. every single level, every single level yes. of life, including how you actually think. So don't mm-hmm. doubt yourself. Don't think. And yeah, when people come for me, I'm like, okay, you want to, if that's what you want to do, <laughs> yes. good luck. Yeah. Um, yeah. But without ego, right. It's also like, obviously I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I, I'm not great at everything, but I am always willing to like try really hard, you know? And I yeah. think yeah. I'd rather do that and suck at something than to, you know, doubt myself or live in fear or hide or whatever, all the stuff I used to do when I was in recovery or in, in my addiction. So speaking of one of the reasons I started this podcast is because people are people get sober so many different ways and it's so cool. And there's mm-hmm. all these, if there's, you know, 12 step programs, there's recovery Dharma there. She reco- there's so many cool things now. And I love that. But what are your thoughts on like a higher power? Mm-hmm. If, if any, and like, what does that look like in your day-to-day life? Because this is a huge challenge for a lot of people who come into recovery. Yes, for, for absolutely. So many different reasons, um, especially I've noticed younger people coming in now, you know, who are kind of new and it just, you know, some of the language can be antiquated or even just the God concept at all, because people assume that that means religion, this, that, and the other. So what has that looked like for you in terms of like higher power stuff and how you deal with that? That was definitely a hard one for me. With for me growing up, I always felt like religion was weaponized. Mm. It was used as guilt trips. It was used as why aren't you paying attention? Or it, it felt like 
especially where we grew up in like Jackson, I always felt like I would look around and it, it seemed like no one was paying attention to whatever the priest was saying. It was more like, who's here? What are they wearing? Where are they sitting? And it was just like everything except for like the whole point of the mass. And yeah. Uh, and I, I, it just, that stayed with me and myself, I, I'm constantly questioning things. So the God thing put me off because like, as myself, like I, I'm an atheist and much to my, my parents chagrin. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it's just, it's, I have my reasons and that's what, that, that's it. So yeah. whenever I have, uh, whenever they were talking about a higher power, I'm like, and, and to pray, like I had a hard time praying because I felt like anytime anyone prayed, it was like, they're praying to Santa. It's just like, I need this. I want this. And, and I'm like, I felt like I didn't deserve to do that because I'm asking for something. And what have I done in return? I don't believe in you. Right. So right. who am I praying to? And so what I did was I just kind of put it out there. I prayed to the universe and yeah. I felt that was more about God. I, I have some random thoughts about or weird thoughts I kind of felt like there is like this God thing is like in all of us. So the thing is just by me putting it out there, I'm actually talking to the universe. So when I prayed for the first time, you know, just saying I struggled with a first step. That's why I didn't get sober the first time in recovery, because I felt like I was still in control. And so the second time I went into recovery, I focused (laughs) very intensely on the first step. So I prayed, I put it out there. I'm like, I can't do this on my own. I need help. And so just the fact that I said it out loud and meant it, it's what I tell people. I finally experienced what I call a gift of desperation. Yeah. Where I was willing to do anything to get sober even pray. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, I love that because it's so open. It's just so open. And I think that like, that's, that was my experience as well as my sponsor was like, look, as long as you know, you're not it, we can start there. Like you're not God, right? Cool. Yes. Deal. And then the other thing was, you know, this first thought wrong type of deal, right. Of like, whatever your ideas are or what your thoughts are, let's just go get a second opinion. Right. And whether, and for me, mm-hmm. I, I pray and worship the moon and the streams and the trees and yeah. the animals. And like, yeah. I feel so connected to whatever all this is when I'm in those elements or I see somebody randomly be nice to somebody and it makes me cry. And I'm like, that's, yeah. Like, yeah. that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, okay, yeah. we're all interconnected, right? Like stardust. I don't know. Yes. But this, this first thought wrong feeling of like, you know, I had to admit that my life was a mess and that it was my thinking and my ideas and my coping skills that had kind of gotten me where I started. And so I needed to just, 
am I willing to go ask for a second opinion, whether that's praying about it, writing about it, um, mm-hmm. working step, talking to a sponsor, sharing about it in a meeting, like talking to a therapist, whatever. There's so much. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Just don't be in charge of your own universe. Like defer, defer to someone with more time, yeah. you know? And so for me, Get out of your head. yeah, I had to gently, the whole pray word really kind of freaked me out. But, but to your point, I just, totally. and now I don't, I don't ever, I don't really pray. I just say, thank you a lot. I just say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Constantly to like the ether because everything feels so arbitrary to me. My choices should have, killed me and you have perfectly good five-year-old right now fighting leukemia or whatever. So like to me, Mm -hmm. none of that makes sense. And so when somebody says God saved me or I'm here for, I don't, I have a hard time with all that because it just feels, I agree. It feels arbitrary. Nope. I don't deserve to be here. Anybody, any more than anybody else does. Right. So I really, really struggle yeah. with that. People, people say, you know, God saved me or God, God saved, got me sober. I think it's a part of it. It's a huge part of it. I understand the spirituality aspect and getting out of self and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. also you got to show up. You got to get to meetings. You got to work steps. You have to be of service to other people. Like it's, it's the pragmatic yes. piece that keeps me sober. Like let's not get too you know, totally, totally, totally. It's also, I, well, I hate it when we close with the Lord's prayer and I'm like, it kills me. Fuck. Seriously. We do that every Thursday night in our women's meeting. And I'm like, this is so like, not. this is literally not what it says in the, you know, it's very confusing, yeah. but, and for the first few years, I wouldn't say it. I would stay silent during the prayer because I just, I was like, I'm not, why do I No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not at church. I'm in an AA meeting. <laughs> uh, but now. Uh, yeah, no, no. I, 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 I still do it. I'm still silent. I'm like, <laughs> I, I try to think of like different song lyrics, like, and there is something hilarious about <laughs> speaking the lyrics to sober at the end of a AA meeting. <laughs> the tool song? Yes. I'm going to try to do that next time. Yeah, because my sponsor, she's she's very like, her higher power is definitely female and it's very goddessy and university yeah. and like all this stuff. And so we both are just looking at each other every Thursday night like, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. But it's like, <laughs> but it works for some people and I get it, right? As long as it's not weaponized and used in these kind of weaponized. ways, yeah. like you said right? Crowd control and guilt and shame and all this. I mean, that is not, that is not what I needed when I came in. I needed that's, to have it. No, no. Right? And that's not what religion is supposed to be, in my opinion. You know, Same. that's, it's, yeah, I, I hate it. So do you ever find... Russell Brand, uh, that'll be my... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. I love him. I love his book. Books. And so do I. What do you... Ever and I know the answer is yes. I, I already know, but like, do you ever find your intellect trying to kind of hijack your program, right? Like, because yes, intelligence is dangerous. It can be very, very dangerous <laughs> because this thing doesn't turn on logic, right? So, like, what do you experience that, and how do you kind of call bullshit on yourself? I guess whenever that's happening, how, how do I call bullshit? Yeah. Like how I do you say know? things out loud. Yeah. Yeah. 
I I say things out loud. Like like I talk through things. Like um if I stay in my head too much the creativity and the intellect, I can convince myself of anything. And I, I did it for years, so I know that for a fact. And if I notice that I'm starting to spiral, if I'm like, if I'm starting, if I notice that my thoughts are getting a little too intense and I know where that leads and it's, it's kind of like doom scrolling in your head, you know, <laughs> without the phone. It's just like you're, you, you start to take yourself down the rabbit hole of just things. And it's, it, it's like I can feel the momentum building. So I just start talking out loud. Like, I don't care if I sound crazy, but it's just like, I'm like, okay, do I really think that? Why do I think that? You know, I kind of just walk through things. Um, there's something about actually saying it, saying things out loud and suddenly they lose its power. Absolutely. And it's so many times when something's been eating my lunch for like two weeks straight and then I'll say it out loud in a meeting and I'm like, Oh my God. Or I'll write it. I'll reread my journal or look at my night. Yeah, like, oh, or run it by, you know, your friend or your sponsor or whoever. And, and it's mm-hmm. like asking those questions of, do I actually believe this? Or, um, cause a lot of it, it is that I have a very worst case scenario mind. It, I can quickly just go from really? here to just straight down and you just fall through the hole and it's, you know, um, but sometimes it's hard to get out of that when you're, if you're going through a depressive state, like, depending on moods and mm-hmm. what's going on in life and all that kind of stuff, you know, so it's easy in theory to talk about like, yeah, I'm just good. But sometimes if you're in it, it, it can be really hard to recognize unless you're surrounded by people who are like, are you okay? <laughs> right. Well, the thing is also, it's like, I'm, I mean, I know I'm obsessive about things. I, I mean, it's just like if anyone heard me saying that, they're like, no shit. (laughs) Um, But the thing is, is is like, I am a worst case person, but the thing is, since I've gotten sober, what I've turned that into, I've tried to evolve that into, okay, what happens? What happens if the worst case happens? So I always have a backup plan. And the thing is, there's some comfort in that knowing that you're not going to surprise me. I'm like, oh, so this is going to happen? Like, okay, I'm going to lose my job tomorrow. What are you going to do now? Well, I'm going to do this, this, and this. I've already right. planned it through. You have a plan. It's, yeah. And I think ha- it's kind of like that having, I've basically what I've tried to do is, it's the same thing with the program. It's like having that backup plan. Okay, I need to go out tonight to a bar. There's a, there's a, there's a work meeting at a bar. I'm like, okay, I need to have my backup plan. How am I going to get out? What's my escape scenario? I try to apply that logic to everything. So it's, it's like I, I always leave at least 40 minutes early to a meeting because I plan for traffic. I plan for something to happen. And it's just a very like, OCD addict way of trying like the boy scout method of always being prepared. (laughs) (laughs) It's important though. It it really, it really keeps me sane. Yeah. 
And I've, I've done, you know, fear inventories and that where it's similar, where, you know, I had a sponsor one time, have me list out my biggest fears of like, Oh my God, if this happened, my life would be over type of stuff, like catastrophic. And then column of what, what would happen if I were drinking? What is my addict brain telling me would happen? And then kind of what's Mm -hmm. the reality of what would happen in a clear minded, clear eyed recovery thinking state of mind, right? If I lose my job, I'm not going to go to a bar and, and find drugs. I'm going to go start reaching out to my network and, you know, the old me. Yes. My fear is based on what the old me would have done. It's not looking at what you would actually do in reality. And so that, um, it's just really weird how that stuff, you know, even when, when I'm going through those things and I'm logically like, this is not real at all, but I, I lean toward fear. I lean toward negativity. I, I kind of lean toward suspicion, you know, and I have to pull myself back and stay out of it. But it's, oh, it can be hard. It's totally hard, especially like when for me, like I'm, I'm an empath and I like feel people and it's like, I'm like, and I can tell like, they're hiding something or they're acting different. Like I can tell their mannerisms are different. And I'm just like, I try to stop reading people and I can't. Yeah. And yeah. so that just plays into your head and like, where is that going to lead to? And it's, it's exhausting. It's it is. <laughs> it is exhausting. What, what advice would you, cause there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are either like really, really new in recovery or maybe they're coming off of a relapse mm-hmm. or a lot of people who really are still drinking and using, and they're just kind of kicking the tires on what a, what a sober life might, might look like. Mm-hmm. What, what advice did you get early on that really helped you? One thing. <laughs> yeah, I pulled this out. Uh, this is my, big book and did you treat yours like a a yearbook oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've got all these like signatures signatures phone numbers there's a couple things yes yes 13th step things (laughs) you don't say (laughs) my favorite thing was um I've given up all hope for a better past. Mm. That one was just amazing. Like I still use it as a mantra, like because there's, especially when you're early in recovery, you keep going back to like, you know, things for, for me, for example, the incident with my son, I can't change that. Yeah. It's impossible to change it. It happened. But it it helped solidify the foundation of my recovery. And all of my mistakes led me to here. And the thing is, it's like, what can you, you can either spend all of your time thinking about all the awful things that you did, or you can use that as fuel to do something better. And I think that's, that's really important. Is is because I just I feel like as an addict, you you, it's so dangerous to just get wrapped wrapped up in everything that's behind you instead of looking forward. That is so powerful. That's huge, 
and it feels insurmountable. And what we, what a lot of people do want to do is because the step work, unfortunately, we do have to work through that stuff. We've got to go back and look. Yes, yes. We've got to work through those resentments. We have to see where we really hurt people, you know, and that's painful. And we can either use it to be like, oh, wow, I'm really a piece of shit and spiral and relapse or, okay, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. How can I make changes? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. But I think, wow, that's, that's huge. You know, giving up hope on a different past because the past too is to me where a lot of resentments come from and this person shouldn't have done that. And my childhood should have, you know, and this, and it's, it's like, it's staying stuck mm-hmm. in the problem instead of being like, okay, here we are. What's right, the solution? Right. I love that. And also the, the thing when, when I was in my, my second treatment center, what, what I got hung up on or not hung up on what I focused my energy on was, I guess this is the writer in me, but I'm just like, right now is the first page of my comeback story. How am I going to write it? And the thing is, what's amazing is everyone has a chance to write their own. It's just like every day is a new chapter. It's just like, but you just have to start writing it. But the thing is, it can be incredible, you know, and that's it exciting. can be whatever you want it to be. And that's the yeah. Question. And it's hard to see that in the beginning. It really is because, you know, oh, totally, totally. I use the Shawshank Redemption line all the time of like, you're going to have to swim through a river of shit first. <laughs> it's going to it's going to be. Yeah, it, and it's going to be work. And then you it's get to the other rough. side and Andy Dufresne is standing in the rain. And it's just like, yes, that's what. Yeah. That yeah. Like, right. But. To your point, and for me, the moments, the times, the memories of all of the the most shameful things, the most embarrassing things, the things that w- that I swore I would take to my grave, those are the things now that are the most powerful when I'm working with other women. Like totally. that, that totally. shit is what helps people because if I'm willing to say that, you know, it just helps us to like not not normalized, but like, you know, when people and my sponsor said some stuff and shared her story, it helped me with my shame. It made me feel seen and accepted. And these are things that I swore I would literally go to the grave with. And I'm out here telling people, hundred people in a, when you share your story and it's weird, but it's like, yeah, transmuting that shame into power because you're using it to help people. And also I own it. I have to own it. And you know? Yeah. And that's, that's you, you are, you are absolutely, you're making it powerful because there's something amazing about what happens during a meeting where you have all this anxiety about what you've done. You think it's the worst thing on earth. And then when you share it, people start laughing because they're like, that's it. <laughs> and it, it's, it's amazing how that weight falls off your shoulder is just like, Oh my God, like you, number one, you found your, your tribe. Yes. But number two is just like, you don't have to carry it anymore. Right. Right. And it's funny because we all have that terminal uniqueness that we come in with, but also like, I thought my fifth step was going to be the most scandalous thing this woman had ever heard. And she was just like, nah, you know? And I'm like a little offended. Like, damn, yeah. I I thought I had some good adventures. Of course. <laughs> Just like, yeah. you're pretty cool. <laughs> but it's, it's such a great feeling. Yeah. You found your people, but also, you know, Oh good. I'm not the worst person in the world. 
Yes. Yes, absolutely. So a couple more questions and we'll wrap it up here, but Mm -hmm. has therapy been part of your journey? I'm always curious if people did that or not, because some people do, some people don't. And I just wonder what your experience has been. Yeah. um, There's, for me, I think it, it goes with just like the, I'm in my head a lot and I do therapy. Like I, I talk to a guy like once a month and it's, it's to make sure that I don't get too comfortable in my head. Yeah. Like I, I kind of force myself. I don't like talking about myself at all. I like, I pr- always prompt the therapist, just like, you have to ask me questions, <laughs> you know, because it's, I, I need it. I, I'll answer anything, but you have to ask it. Yeah. And it, it's just to make sure that I don't spend too much time in my head. Yeah. Cause that's a dangerous place. for me. I love that. And I love having a different perspective than just a sponsor, like just someone in recovery. I like to have someone else that I can share confidentially with who can, you know, weigh in or, or so I love that. And it's really, it's helpful. Yeah. You know? I think it really, it really is. So, what I guess this will be this will be the last question. Mm-hmm. But what is your favorite thing about sobriety? I no longer am scared when a cop's behind me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yes. I there's don't that. You, don't you want them to move <laughs> over sometimes and just be like, oh, oh yeah, I'm like come on. Search my car, I'm still <laughs> my I'll do a field sobriety test. Like yeah. I am clean as a whistle. I'm like a Girl Scout over here now. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. No, no there, there, it's that. And it's like, I no longer have any fear. I had so much anxiety about like showing up to work the next day smelling like alcohol. Yeah. Like I, I had... So I would bring a change of clothes with me to work some sometimes because I was worried I was going to sweat and it was going to smell like vodka. <laughs> it there was just like the sweating thing and knowing that I was going to reek like a Jaeger or whatever, and it it uh, was paralyzing. And now it's just like I I crack up. I'm like there's going to be a Christmas party. I'm like, can we show up at eight thirty tomorrow, please? I mean, you know, like I like, oh, we'll show up at seven. I'll, I'll be ready. I'll, I'll drive everyone home tonight. Like, there's something about the fact that knowing that I'm always capable of showing up. Yeah, and I love that. A lot of peace of mind with that. It's it's a really good good feeling. That's awesome. Okay, well, I I cannot thank you enough. Were you going to show me something, or was oh, that I'm going to share this? Yeah, okay. yeah. So I wrote this thing. It was, I took it upon myself to write this um, goodbye letter to alcohol when I was in treatment. And, and I, I actually submitted it and it got published in a paper. So that is awesome. I'll, I'll read it to you. Amazing. It's called Farewell. I can remember the moment like it was yesterday. It was a holiday party. 
I was sitting in the corner of the living room. Music was playing. People were carrying on, laughing as they tried to recall details of an anecdote. I sat back and just took it all in. I was gazing upon a living, breathing Norman Rockwell painting. Then something magical happened. I saw you. You were, stand, you were standing by the old breakfast table, the one always missing that extra leaf. A group was huddled around you, laughing, anxiously awaiting your next amusing tale. You were the life of the party, and there was no doubt about it. I was yours from that day forward. It took me a while to find the courage to meet you, but when, you were, when we were together, the connection was like no other. You gave me confidence. I was a better ver- version of myself. I fit in. Finally, I was the man I knew I could be. Whatever was mine was yours. In my eyes, you gave me so much. You made me happier than I've ever been. I remember wanting to take you everywhere. And much to the chagrin of others, I did. They didn't understand our chemistry. They couldn't understand we were made to be together. At least, that's what I thought. We had been together for so many years, I don't know what changed. What used to be a relationship built on compromise had festered into an abusive nightmare. No matter how much my life I devoted, it wasn't enough. My job, my family, my everything, whatever you asked of me was yours. I loved you. But then I accepted the inevitable. You never cared. We never existed. I never mattered. So in parting, my darling alcohol, you're nothing but a dirty whore. And this life of mine is yours no more. (laughs) I was starting to cry. Then, of course, you ended with a little uh, humor. Wow. That's the relationship. That is the relationship. There was an old timer in my original home group in Houston, and he said, "If if you're a real alcoholic, never forget that your mind has a contract out on your ass. And I was like, damn. Because... It's like thing we're it's not alcoholism, it's alcoholism. So like the, the but all of these the complexities of that relationship and how it turns on you at some point and but by then it's it's yeah, way too yeah. late. It's way too late, right? At that point. That was beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. No, there was there's definitely a, a sudden shift when it's not a party. It's like you're a prisoner at that point. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that. And also thank you for your courage to share your story and, and, um, of course to see you after after all these years. So after five years, I know, right? (laughs) We're still so young. (laughs) 